right, thank you. Uh, thanks a lot, Danielle. Um, uh, I apologize for the delay in getting underway here. Uh, uh, I have no expertise in hooking up computers to PowerPoint or to projectors. In fact, I have no expertise in PowerPoint at all. So uh, this is my very first PowerPoint presentation. Um, I'm used to the kind of stone age of blackboards and things like that. So bear with me. I, I did get the nice background, though. Do you like the background? The scales in it? it was one of the options that they gave uh, anyway, so the talk today is about mediation, and uh, as Daniel said, it's a part of a project on mediation and um, uh, a sort of game theoretic approach to it. Uh, I do game theory, and so um, I'm interested in how mediation works, when it works, under what conditions it works, and how it facilitates conflict resolution uh, to the extent that it does. Um, uh, and in particular, I'm interested today in this paper in the question of mediation and mistrust. Uh, now, there's a number of different stories or different theories about what causes conflict. Um, bargaining over things that you want, two sides both want and can't both have, that sort of theory. Uh, there's lots of different explanations of how conflict arises. One set of explanations actually related to my uh, book on, the, on security dilemma and, and uh, trust and mistrust is, that the, is the notion that mistrust causes conflict. Okay, and this has a, a big pedigree in international relations um, and as well as other, other areas of uh, discipline. Um, and often is uh, sort of lumped under the heading of the security dilemma, the notion that mistrust causes conflict, tracing back to Hobbes, uh, among others, right? Two sides mistrust each other, doubt each other's motivations, think the other side may be out to get to. Um, perhaps you have, therefore, an incentive to strike first, right? To attack the other side before they can attack you, right? The doctrine of preventive war or preemptive war that is so much in the news today, right? If you trusted the other side, you wouldn't have that incentive. You would believe that they are not out to get you, so you don't feel any need to go out and get them. Uh, both sides could live and let live. Uh, so mistrust is often um, said to cause conflict in the international relations and civil war sort of context. Um, there's a related issue, actually, the problem of exchange uh, in economics and political science to some extent. Uh, the notion that mistrust can cause market failure uh, that is a failure to have transactions, okay? So you and I might want to trade, uh, you know, I've got some wheat and you've got some, uh, you know, beer or something. We want to have some trade, but I doubt whether your beer is actually beer. You might have watered it down. You think that my wheat may actually be just a little bit of wheat on the top and then a bunch of sand underneath, right? So there's mistrust. And in weakly institutionalized settings, um, this can cause failure to trade. And there's a famous article by uh, Milgram, North, and Weingast about the revival of medieval trade. And the notion is you've got these merchants coming from all over Europe to Champagne for these fairs, and they need to trade with each other, but they don't necessarily know each other. So how do you know? And they're not sure that they're going to meet again, right? How do you know that the other guy's going to deal honestly with you, right, if the trade can't be sort of immediately verified in terms of the quality of the goods? Um, and the whole point of the Milgram, North, and Weingast article was that you can have these figures, these intermediaries, the law merchants, so-called, who are merchants who know a lot and keep records of who's been honest and who's been dishonest, and that these folks can, you can sort of apply to them if, you're, if you want to trade with somebody, ask them, has this guy ever ripped anybody off? Um, and they'll tell you yes or no, and then you can use that information to decide whether you want to trade with that person. Okay, so mistrust can lead to failures to trade um, in a sort of less dramatic but equally important way as mistrust can lead to um, outright conflict or war. Um, 
So mediation is supposed to facilitate conflict resolution, right? That's kind of the whole point of it from most people's perspective, right? So the question arises, can mediators promote trust in contexts where it matters, right? Can they promote trust and thereby facilitate cooperation, which would otherwise be impeded by mistrust? Under what conditions can they do that, right? Um, what sorts of problems are suitable for mediation? What sorts of problems perhaps are not suitable for mediation? Um, and what characteristics should a mediator have to be able to fulfill this role adequately? In particular, should they be biased or unbiased? The question of mediator bias is one of the main, um, one, of the, one of the issues that sort of runs throughout the literature on mediation, right? Do you want a mediator who is neutral um, between the two parties, or do you want a mediator who is effectively on one party's side or the other? Um, the standard model of these issues, uh, conflict and cooperation, um, trade and market failure is the prisoner's dilemma, which I'm sure is familiar to you all. Um, I won't belabor it, but the basic idea is two sides face each other, they're not sure what the other side's going to do, and they have preferences such that each side wants to exploit the other, right? If these outcomes are ranked in order of uh, sort of big numbers or big payoffs, um, you get four if you defect while the other side cooperates, but you only get three if you both cooperate, right? So you want to defect while the other guy cooperates. Similarly, if the other guy's going to defect, you want to defect too, so each side has a dominant strategy to try to rip off the other side, right? So this is the Hobbesian world where you have an incentive to attack the other side while they're sleeping so that they don't attack you, or the trade situation where you want to give the other guy uh, a worthless piece of junk and or counterfeit money or whatever uh, in order to rip them off. Um, so this is a model that's often applied. Milgram, North, and, and Weingast build their model in the prisoner's dilemma uh, as well. But I argue that the prisoner's dilemma is not an appropriate model uh, for trust. Uh, and I argue this in, in the book project and some of the other articles also in this paper um, as well. That is, I think of trust as a belief that the other side is likely to prefer reciprocating cooperation with you rather than exploiting you if you cooperate. Okay, so to trust someone is to think that if you're in a situation where the other side could exploit you or refrain from doing so, that if they think you're going to cooperate, they're going to want to cooperate too. They're going to want to reciprocate that cooperation. They're not going to want to exploit you if they think you're going to cooperate. <coughs> but it presupposes some uncertainty on this score, right? You're not <coughs> certain whether the other side is going to reciprocate cooperation or not. You're You've got uncertainty. It's a matter of beliefs. Um, so trust is essentially uh, sort of um, predicated on uncertainty about the other side. In a one-shot prisoner's dilemma, there is no uncertainty. Right? If you go back to the matrix, everyone knows that everyone's going to exploit the other side. There's no uncertainty about that. Everyone is, mis is untrustworthy, basically, in the model, by definition. And hence, anybody would be crazy to trust the other person if you know that they've got prisoner's dilemma uh, preferences. So neither side is trustworthy, neither side trusts the other side in prisoner's dilemma, so it's not a very good model for exploring trust. In the repeated prisoner's dilemma, it's slightly different, but still not good, because basically the sides either do trust each other or don't, depending on the discount factor, uh, typically denoted delta, right? Either the sides are patient enough to cooperate with each other, this is the typical Axelrod story, evolution and cooperation, right? Either you care enough about the future to cooperate with each other, <coughs> Excuse me. Um, in which case, trust is perfect, right? You know they're going to cooperate, they know you're going to cooperate, there's no uncertainty. Or you don't, right? The discount factor is too low, the other side is some sort of fly-by-night character, they don't really care about the future, so 
So they're not going to cooperate. And once again, trust or mistrust is, is complete. Right? But either way, there's no uncertainty. Right? So even in the repeated prisoner's dilemma, I argue, you're not really getting at trust. Um, in terms of mediation and the literary mediation, uh, the theory of how mediation works is, I argue, underdeveloped. Uh, it's not clear when mediation uh, can work and when it can't work. Uh, people have uh, advanced various arguments on the score, but it hasn't been developed in a formal way, uh, certainly at all, uh, until quite recently. Um, so there's lots of questions about how mediation works, or how mediation should work, at least in an ideal world, um, <coughs> let alone how mediation actually works. Um, and one question concerns the bias of the mediators I alluded to earlier, right? Is bias a good thing or a bad thing? Some people argue um, bias is a good thing. That is, people will trust a mediator if they think that mediator is biased towards them. And under those circumstances, you can believe what the mediator says, and mediation will have some impact. Other people say it's a bad thing. People only trust an impartial mediator, a mediator who's clearly not on one side or the other. Um, Orion Young and many other people uh, make that argument. Um, so in a previous paper that Danielle alluded to that came out in AJPS last year, I argued that bias was essential. And the context there is, <coughs> excuse me, context is a bargaining context where you have two players and they are bargaining, and if the bargaining fails, they're going to end up in war. Standard sort of Sierra model from his 1995 piece, take the sort of bargaining. Um, the mediator, what, what causes war is information problems, right? It's uncertainty about the resolve of the other side. If you knew how much you could push the other side, basically, you would push them that far um, and no further, and peace would result, right? You'd make a demand that you knew the other side would accept. The other side would accept it, there'd be no war. What causes war is if you're not sure how far you can push the other side. You try to push them a little too far, and they resist your demand, and you end up in war. So it's that uncertainty that causes the, <coughs> causes the conflict. Excuse me. The mediator comes in in that piece and provides information about the resolve of the players. So the side, there's, there's a side who's wondering, how far can I push this other guy? The mediator comes and whispers in their ear, you can push them so far and no further. Right? <coughs> when does that work? See, if that worked, then the party who's being communicated to would say, oh, okay, now I know how far I can push them. They'd make that demand. The other side would accept no war. When does that work? It only works if the mediator is biased towards the side that it's communicating with. Okay? And the reason is, if somebody is counseling you, you know, back off. Don't make such a big demand because the other side's going to reject it. You're going to end up in a war. When are you going to believe them? You're not going to believe them if you think that all they're trying to do is prevent war. Because then they're going to tell you that, whether it's true or not. Right? If you think they're just trying to prevent war, the mediator, <coughs> they're going to say, back off, don't make such a big demand, even if they thought that, well, you know, they might accept the bigger demand. Right? Why? Because if you back off, that lowers the likelihood of war, which is what the mediator wants. Okay? You're only going to believe the mediator who tells you to back off and make a lower demand if you think they're on your side. So that you think, well, if they thought that I could get away with a bigger demand, They'd encourage me to make it. Okay, this, the example I use is um, Chernomirdin going to mediate with um, uh, Milosevic in Serbia during the Kosovo crisis, right? Russia is on Serbia's side in that conflict. Excuse <coughs> me. Um, Chernomirdin comes in and says, you're going to have to back off on Kosovo because NATO's going to fight. 
Milosevic can believe that because he thinks that Russia is on his side. Therefore, Russia wouldn't be telling him that unless Russia thought that it was true. Right? If the European Union or some namby-pamby international organization that just wants to preserve peace comes and tells him that, he's going to say, forget about it. You know, I don't believe you. I'm trying to do the best I can for myself. It's only when Russia comes to him and says, you can't get away with it, that he says, all right, I guess that's probably right. Okay, so in the bargaining context, bias is essentially <coughs> as it turns out. <coughs> however, <coughs> however, things may be different for different tasks. And this is where um, uh, you need to be specific, right? <coughs> Excuse me. There are many different tasks that mediators have to perform in their mediator mediation uh, efforts, many different roles that they uh, play, and all the literature on mediation emphasizes this. There's lots of different tasks and lots of different roles. So perhaps for the trust-building role, um, unbiasedness is a good thing, uh, better than being biased. Um, and so we'll investigate that in this model. Um, so the model I build to uh, address this question kind of related to the prisoner's dilemma, but somewhat different. <coughs> the basic framework is the same in the sense that you've got two players with options to cooperate or defect. Um, the payoffs I've changed slightly um, in a way that I'll allude to in a second. Um, but the key difference is that you've got a mediator involved, so there's a third player, and the mediator's payoffs are represented by these Greek letters, the third uh, item in the, in the, um, in the column. So the two players, once again, can cooperate or defect depending on how much they trust each other, and the mediator gets uh, certain payoffs too. So let me go through that. There's two types of player, right? These models are all built on uncertainty. The players are uncertain about whether the other side is effectively a good guy or a bad guy, right? Trustworthy or not. So each player may be trustworthy, uh, which means having uh, this parameter B less than one, which means that they have assurance payoffs. What does that mean? That means that they prefer mutual cooperation to exploiting the other guy when they are cooperating, right? So if you have a choice between, if you know they're going to cooperate, do you want to defect and exploit them, or do you want to reciprocate their cooperation? <coughs> trustworthy types want to reciprocate that cooperation. That's the definition of being trustworthy. And there's a certain likelihood, T, that each side is trustworthy. Um, or the player may be untrustworthy. And the untrustworthy player has this parameter B greater than 1, which means that they have prisoner's dilemma payoffs, right? As I illustrated before, prisoner's dilemma types, if they think the other side is going to cooperate, you want to exploit the other side, right? Hence, they are untrustworthy, right? You can't trust them. And the likelihood of facing an untrustworthy player is just one minus the likelihood that you're facing a trustworthy player. In equilibrium, untrustworthy types have a dominant strategy to defect, right? If you're untrustworthy, you're going to try to exploit the other side, and you don't care about the information. Mediator, you just couldn't, couldn't, couldn't be concerned about that, right? Trustworthy types can cooperate if they think the other side is likely enough to be trustworthy too, okay? So if your level of trust for the other side exceeds a certain threshold, then you will be willing to cooperate. So that's the key difference. <coughs> the mediator's payoffs. The mediator gets a certain reward, row, for successful cooperation. This reflects the fact that we usually think that mediators have at least some desire to promote cooperation. That's kind of one of the main reasons why they're in, in it, right? They want to see successful cooperation, whether it's fostering trade at this fair or whether it's, you know, preventing a war in some sort of civil war context. So that's the reward for successful cooperation. To deal with the bias issue, they get a payoff theta 
in case player one exploits player two. Okay, beta standing for bias. All right. A payoff of minus beta in case player two exploits player one. Okay. Hence, beta is a measure of how biased the mediator is towards player one. Right. If beta is greater than zero, uh, so if beta equals zero, then the mediator is unbiased. They don't <coughs> care which side exploits the other. If beta is greater than zero, the mediator favors player one. They're happier when player one exploits player two than vice versa. If beta is less than zero, it's negative, then the mediator, player, mediator favors player two. Okay? They're happier when player two exploits player one. Okay. So the mediator gets a reward for fostering cooperation, and there are these bias payoffs depending on the sign of beta as to which side they favor. If beta is positive, they favor player one. Negative, they favor player two. So you can have a, a mediator who is either biased in favor of one, neutral, or biased in favor of the other guy. Um, yep? For a mediator to be a true mediator, role would always have to be larger than the payoff. Is that right? Uh, I'm not. The payoff for successful mediation has got to be better than my payoff of what I get if side one exploits side two. You know, my bias payoff. My reward payoff has got to be bigger than my bias payoff, or I'm not a genuine mediator. I'm well, not an honest broker. Yeah, it's probably true that, well, certainly if it gets much bigger, you're going to have a problem. Um, I sort of get to comparing the magnitudes of payouts at the end of the paper, but yeah, you will probably not successfully act in this model as a mediator if that were if that were the case. And I'll sort of I'll show why that's the case. In fact, I mean one of the central results at the end is if beta gets too large, holding the other parameters constant, then the equilibrium falls apart, so you don't get mediation. So yeah, effectively you're right. Um, <coughs> So the mediator, mediator's beliefs, right? The mediator, in order to be useful in this enterprise, has to have some information to contribute to the parties, right? So we assume that the mediator is uncertain about whether the, other, whether the two sides are trustworthy or not, but they get some additional information uh, modeled here as a signal from nature about the player's types. That is, uh, nature is this sort of game-theoretic uh, representation of uh, a lot of things, in some cases, here, here is just basically information gathering on the part of the mediator. The mediator sort of finds out something about the types of the players, something that's unknown to the players themselves. Um, <coughs> however, that information is not necessarily correct. The mediator is not perfectly informed. They, too, are still laboring under uncertainty, but they just have some additional information. Okay, the likelihood that the mediator's information is in error is this term epsilon, which is less than 0.5, meaning that the mediator gathers some information which could be of use to the parties. Okay. It's just a modeling convention. Um, so if the mediator gets this T signal for trustworthy about a player, finds out some piece of information which indicates this guy is trustworthy, then their beliefs change in this fashion, which you don't have to pay a lot of attention to, but just note that it's, this is the probability that I is trustworthy given that the mediator received this trustworthy signal. Um, the mediator gets the U signal that the other guy is untrustworthy. The belief becomes the second little equation. And then the key insight is, or not insight, but key sort of founding sort of assumption is that through Bayes' rule, if you get this good information about a party, you become more trusting of them. That is, the mediator himself or herself becomes more trusting of that party, more, con more convinced that they are trustworthy than they were before. This T sub I is the prior belief. And T sub I, the prior belief, is in turn greater than the belief about their likelihood of being trustworthy if you got the bad signal about them, the U signal. Okay. So just 
straightforwardly, if you get good information about someone, you become more trusting of them than you were to begin with. If you get bad information, you become less trusting of them than you were to begin with. Okay. The order of play. Uh, nature chooses each player's type, whether they're trustworthy or untrustworthy. Signals the mediator about this choice that it just made, these T and U signals that I just talked about. The mediator then makes an announcement about each player's type. says player one is trustworthy, player two is not trustworthy. That's what I found out. Or player two is trustworthy, player one is not trustworthy, or they're both trustworthy, or they're both not trustworthy. So the mediator makes some public announcement about the player's types. And then the players play the game. Okay, the simultaneous choice, you cooperate with effect. Okay, that's the setup. As a preliminary sort of brush clearing thing, when can mediation help? There are certain cases where it can, certain cases where it cannot. And mediation is essentially only useful for middling levels of uncertainty. That is, the players can't be too pessimistic or too optimistic. Uh, and you can think of it this way. If the players are so pessimistic, if you think the other guy is really out to get you, you're almost totally convinced that they are out to get you. Some little bit of information from this mediator that they're a really nice guy is simply not enough to convince you to cooperate, right? Your, your, your prior belief is so strong that you're going to disregard that, and you're going to still be in um, a conflictual sort of mode towards that person. On the other hand, if you're so optimistic, if this is your best friend in the world, and some mediator comes along and tells you, you know, this guy is about to get you, you're going to say, you're wrong. I mean, I just know that this person is, is fine, right? I have lots of interactions with them, whatever. So if they're too pessimistic or too optimistic, mediation is irrelevant. And obviously the too pessimistic is kind of the worst side. If they're too optimistic, then there's probably not a conflict to begin with. Uh, there's an appropriate range in the middle where uh, mediation can affect behavior. That is, you're sort of uncertain. Are they, are they good guys or bad guys? I don't know which way to go. The mediator comes in and gives you a piece of information. That's enough to sway your behavior. You say, okay, you say they're trustworthy. All right, I'll give it a shot. Right? Or you say they're untrustworthy. All right, I'm back off. Okay. So in this medium level of trustworthiness, that's when mediation can have its impact. Um, we're interested in truth-telling equilibria of the game, right? That's where the mediator successfully or rather faithfully communicates to the players what it has learned about them, what it has learned from nature. So the mediator finds out, you know, player one, you know, they're not that trustworthy. We want the mediator to communicate that. Um, right. So you find out they're trustworthy, the mediator says they're trustworthy, right? Encouraging cooperation. If the players are untrustworthy, if the mediator finds out something bad about them, the mediator communicates that in turn, and that prevents cooperation, right? Because you're in that middle of the zone where if you find out something bad, you don't cooperate. So that's what a truth-telling equilibrium looks like. You pass on the information as you found it out. Okay. Results. In the one-round game, <coughs> If you just play this game once, there is no truth-telling equilibrium. All right? No truth-telling equilibrium at all. The mediator will never be honest, regardless of the level of bias. Okay? Regardless of how biased or unbiased the um, mediator is. Hence, the mediator is incapable of building trust. Right? If you have a dishonest mediator, the mediator is not believed, and hence they are useless. Right? They might as well not even be there. They're incapable of building trust. Why is there no truth-telling equilibrium here? Well, the mediator gets a positive payoff row if the players cooperate, all right? If the players don't cooperate, they both defect, the mediator gets zero, nothing, okay? So, obviously, the mediator has an incentive to encourage cooperation, right? They get a payoff if the players cooperate. They don't get a payoff if the players don't cooperate, right? Hence, they have an incentive to be dishonest 
an incentive to encourage cooperation, even if it's not likely to work out, right? If the mediator thinks the parties are likely to be trustworthy, the mediator will wish to say they are trustworthy to encourage that cooperation and get that rose payoff. However, if the mediator gets that information, thinks the parties are likely to be untrustworthy, the mediator still wants to vouch for them because the only way you're going to get that real payoff is if these guys at least try to cooperate, right? It might not work out because they're, you know, likely to be untrustworthy, but you're still going to try to encourage cooperation because otherwise you might as well not have even showed up, right? So basically, in the one-shot game, regardless of the information that the mediator gets, they're going to vouch for the parties and they're going to say they're trustworthy in order to at least in order to maximize the chance that they do cooperate. Because if the mediator says, this guy's not trustworthy, they won't cooperate at all, for sure. And so the mediator is uh, out of luck. Hence, the mediator has an incentive to lie. And it's insuperable in the one-shot game. There's no way, there's no amount of bias, there's no nothing that's going to fix that. You've got an insuperable incentive to lie uh, for the mediator. When you say one-shot game, you mean the mediator, too, is in a one-shot game. Yeah, exactly. Right. The mediator, too, is in a one-shot game. So, that's an interesting result. Let's shift then to the repeated game. Is that driven by the fact that you get beta and minus beta on the abstract? So, the reward for having one person win and the other person lose is exactly the same thing? Yeah, it is related to that. That is, if the betas, if I use two different things, right, beta and beta prime or something, and those could vary, you could conceivably rig it so that if the mediator was biased towards a side that was likely to be trustworthy, you might get some honest revelation. Uh, but yeah, if it's equal, then you know. Um, <coughs> so, um, in the repeated game, okay. you might need that. <laughs> uh, in the repeated game, so consider a repeated version of the game, and how might that work? Um, Assume that the mediator is the same mediator, right? The mediator goes from one place to another around the world, mediating in conflicts. Or the law merchant, you know, has one after another trader come up to them asking them for advice. So the mediator is the same uh, person each time, but you have new players each time, okay? So you get new supplicants, new potential uh, conflictants each time. Assume the same information structure, basically just keep the model uh, the same as much as you can. Um, the mediator gets fired if they are ever caught in a lie. And how do you get caught in a lie as a mediator? If you vouch for a party in a situation in which if that party were trustworthy, they would have cooperated, and then that person doesn't cooperate, you are revealed as having blown it. Right? You vouch for somebody as a nice guy, they turned out not to be a nice guy, and so you've made a big mistake with this public and obvious. Okay. So if you vouch for a player who subsequently defects, you know, when they should have cooperated if they were trustworthy, then that's it for the mediator. Right? They're fired and some new mediator comes along and uh, takes their place in an unmodeled future game. Otherwise, the mediator passes on to the next round. So if you don't make that mistake, basically you're safe and clear and you go on to your next mediating job uh, and everything's hunky-dory. Um, what are the repeated game payoffs? Same as before with some additions. Okay, there's a fee, fee for mediating in each round. Okay, and that's unconditional on the outcome. That if you get that just for walking in the door, okay, which reflects, I think, thankfully, some, some context anywhere, 
anyway, where <laughs> where you get paid for your time, basically, in the in the legal situation, and even in some political context, you get paid for the prominence, uh, in some sense, in perhaps mediating some high-profile activity, you become famous. Um, so there is some sort of unconditional aspect to the tale. Uh, there's a discount factor delta for the mediator, so they discount future payoffs in the standard way. There's a likelihood of getting to the next round, gamma, which is endogenously derived from a bunch of these other factors, uh, and a stage game payoff, pi, which is also endogenously derived. But what that means, what that reflects basically is, um, given the probabilities of what might happen, you sort of add up all the different possibilities, and that's pi. That's what you can expect to receive per stage or per period of this game. Um, <coughs> equilibria in the repeated game. Here there are two telling equilibria. Okay? You can get an honest mediator, an honest broker, fostering conflict. If the level of bias beta is not too great, if the reward rho for fostering cooperation is not too great, and if the fee and the discount rate delta are not too small. Now I'll go through each of those. Uh, but first, what's the incentive for honesty in the repeated game? Uh, basically, as in the one-shot game, if you get good news about the player, if you find out they're likely to be trustworthy, then you have an incentive to pass it on because that maximizes the likelihood that you'll collect the reward row for having fostered cooperation in that round. That's just the one-shot game story, right? You foster cooperation, you get your reward for having done so. Okay, that was like before. If the mediator gets bad news about the players, passing it on maximizes the likelihood of getting to the next round and collecting the fee, fee, right? Why? Because if you say the players are untrustworthy, what will they do? They will not cooperate. If the players don't cooperate, that is, even trustworthy players will not cooperate. If you say the players are untrustworthy, no, nobody cooperates, right? The untrustworthy types don't cooperate, but the trustworthy types also don't cooperate. So basically, no information is revealed about the types of the players if you say they're likely to be untrustworthy. Because then everyone defects, there's no updating, and you can't be caught in a lie, right? Because in that situation, all types defect. So who can tell, right? You said they were untrustworthy, but there's no behavior by which the players can learn about whether they were trustworthy or not because both trustworthy and untrustworthy types defected. Right? So if you say the types are untrustworthy, it's safe, right? Because you can't be caught in a lie. Whereas if you encourage cooperation by saying they're trustworthy, mm -hmm. then it's unsafe because they might cooperate if they're trustworthy, but they might not if they are, are untrustworthy. I'm never able to keep this back. But isn't that what verification measures are all about? Couldn't it be that they didn't have more stringent verification, they don't trust each other. The media says, you guys aren't trustworthy, but they still want a deal. They'd rather have an agreement than not have an agreement. So they have, but the agreement then has very strict enforcement, maybe, you know, like on-site inspections, like mm -hmm. in the 60 for, for uh, you know, atomic tests and nuclear tests. Yeah. One thing that I haven't modeled in this, but which you can, um, you can put in if you want to make it more complicated, is, is aspects of inspection. That is, presumably, if you ramp I mean, inspection comes with a cost, but it provides a certain benefit. So it's another variable, right? If you ramp up the level of inspection or verification, you pay costs to do that. But in the case of the other guy, so you get sort of better warning of a defection. 
and in certain cases, the mistrust doctrine would be worth it. In certain cases, it would not. But I think you would still have a similar problem. That is, there are certain types for whom essentially no level of inspection is going to work. Uh, and so um, they're just not going to be able to make a deal unless they get the level of trust to uh, a higher level, essentially, so that at least some verification could possibly succeed. Trust just isn't an issue. You know, trust but verify, or distrust but verify. Well, if you're looking, like, say you compare the SALT treaties to subsequent arms control treaties at the strategic level. I'm sorry, sorry, we should should (laughs) keep (laughs) going. Okay, Okay, well, we can come back to this in the Q&A. You're assuming the mediator does not pick up a reputation, right? In other words, the next game, they don't know what the mediator's done previous. Uh, No, but it's irrelevant. Well, it's only relevant to the extent that the mediator is still there unfired. That is, the mediator has a sort of basic reputation here in the sense that if they ever vouch for somebody who subsequently proves to be untrustworthy, they're out. So they have an incentive to preserve a reputation for honesty. That's definitely what's preserving, that's what's giving them the incentive to be honest when they when they get bad information about the players. But so permanently fired as soon as permanently Yeah, yeah. You'll never work in this town again. Yeah. I, I, I just don't know, I mean, something some like, I mean, like, you cannot simply fight these, these mediators. I mean, when you said, okay, they can, I mean, they can be fired, but there are some mediators that cannot, that cannot be fired, like the, sort of, like the Russian army or France. They are mediators, and, we can, and they basically cannot be fired. And in some cases, I mean, when they cannot get fired, then the role will, well, I mean, remain the same while the temper, the fees will keep increasing, so it is in their, in their interest to maintain the impasse, they stand off, because they will keep getting the fees. Uh, yeah, well, that, that's, uh, I'll get to you in a second why you don't constantly say the players are untrustworthy. Yeah, you might say, why not just always say the players are untrustworthy, which itself is a lie, right? That's another way of lying, because you sometimes get good information about the parties. But why don't you just always say they're untrustworthy, therefore guaranteeing that you will pass to the next round? And that will happen under certain conditions. That's when you need to, to prevent that from happening, the reward for encouraging successful cooperation has to be higher. And if you just think about it in terms of, like, the real world, why would that not work? It would not work because people would say, how can it be that every single person you've ever encountered is, is untrustworthy, right? That's not, it's sort of intuitively possible that that's not going to be happening. Right, and also there are genuine rewards for actually achieving cooperation. Right, few mediators would be content with just going in and never, never being successful. Usually, if you're Sly Dance or if you're, you know, Jim Baker, you're going around the world. You want success, right? That's an important thing. In fact, the danger is that the other payout, the fee, is not high enough. That you're basically you only care about this incident. I think that in the international context, I think that's probably the more, the more pressing danger. Um, there is a difference between lying and being wrong. Um, lying is saying something that is not true intentionally, whereas being wrong is believing that something is right, but not, it turns out not to be right. Now, what are you operating with here? Um, with lies or with being right or wrong? Uh, with both. That's a very good point. In the model, right, notice I said you get fired as a mediator if you say the side is trustworthy and they prove to be untrustworthy. Well, that could have been perfectly honest on your part. You could have actually gotten good information about them, but these signals could be wrong, and you, so you could be wrong, and so very honestly, you make a mistake. But if you don't have some mechanism which punishes that sort of uh, statement, encouraging cooperation when it turns out not to have been a good idea, then the model falls apart. You can't get in equilibrium. So the punishment is 
for a certain type of statement, which may or may not be a lie. But if you don't punish that class of statements, then there's no incentive not to lie, effectively. So basically, you're deterring lies by punishing a category of statements which is not exactly lies only. Because, of course, the players don't have the information which would be required to punish lies and only lies. They have only the information about things that are observable, which they see, i.e., what the media said and what the other party did. So it's, it's an interesting thing. I, mean, I call this truth-telling equilibria following the, the, the standard sort of labels that they use in the cheap talk literature and economics. But it's, it's a funny version of the truth-telling equilibria because um, they're not always telling the truth and they're not always punished for lying. Uh, it's a rougher sort of thing. <laughs> You're saying this in a way. I mean, it seems like sort of the if you could design a contract that would sort of be the one that would maximize everyone's present discounted utilities, it would depend on sort of you know the probabilities that not not whether I you wouldn't fire the guy the first time the guy got it wrong. It would it would depend on sort of the frequency and over a long number of draws. I mean, and, you could conceivably weaken the... Which you, yeah. is, is there any sense in which you can think about sort of like what contract would be the optimal one in I, order to... Uh, not in terms of manipulating that particular variable. I talk in a, in a second about how you would get optimality, well, not perfect optimality, obviously, because you've got the information, but how you sort of get the mediator with the, the cheapest mediator you could get, basically. What would be the lowest cost mediator to the players in terms of these fees? Assuming that, that say, the rows and the fees come out of the players' pockets, how would you minimize that expenditure for the mediator? Uh, I talk about that in a second. But you, you're right to suggest, I think, uh, I haven't worked it out, but I think that's probably right, that the punishment strategy for lying might not have to be quite so draconian. You might be able to get away with, um, you know, every third time you do that, you're fired forever. Or every time you do it, you're fired for 10 rounds or something like that. But it would have to do with how bad you screwed up. How what was the comp what were the consequences that never changed? Yeah, yeah. I mean if if <laughs> unilateral exploitation is a terrible, terrible outcome, then you might have to fire them for sure the the first time it happens. Uh, yeah. Okay, let me just uh, finish up here. So when is there a truth telling equilibrium? Right. Okay, so there's a bunch of conditions on the on the parameters. I'll just go through each individual parameter. Um, <coughs> the reward row can't be too big. Otherwise, equilibrium is destroyed. Why? Because if it becomes too big, it becomes similar to the one-shot game. Right? Row is the reward for cooperation. If the reward for fostering cooperation outweighs everything else, then you're basically in a one-shot situation. You don't care about uh, the future that much. And hence, the mediator has an incentive to encourage cooperation at all costs in the current round, uh, even if they have bad information about the parties. Okay? So that's really straightforward. The fee and the discount rate can't be too small, right? If the fee and the discount rate are too small, then you don't care enough about the future again, and it becomes like a one-shot game, right? You want the fee and the discount rate to be big enough so that you care about future rounds. You want to get to that next round to um, be able to earn that fee. Um, so those can't be too small. And the mediator can't be too biased, holding the other, play other payoffs fixed. Data can't be too large or too small, that is too big and negative. can't be too big and positive or too big and negative. Right? Or the mediator will have an incentive 
to vouch for a party towards whom they are biased. And this is kind of an interesting aspect of why biasness doesn't work here, right? This is um, uh, why it happens, right? If data is big, you're really biased towards player one. You get a big payoff if player one exploits player two. Then you're going to have an incentive to encourage this outcome by vouching for player one, even if you get bad information about player one, right? So your friend, you, you kind of think your friend's a jerk, right? But you have an incentive to vouch for them anyway because they're your friends, right? And so if they exploit the other side, you feel less bad than if the other side exploits your friends, okay? So if the mediator is biased too much towards one side or the other, there will not be a truth-telling equilibrium. The mediator will be tempted to vouch for the player towards whom they are biased. They, they are actually not so bad, they're trustworthy, even if they got bad information. Because in the likely result of that, where their favorite player exploits the other side, they don't do too badly, right? The beta is high. Okay. So in this model, bias is a bad thing, right? You can't have too much bias. There's an acceptable range of bias for beta around zero. But if beta gets beyond that range, then the, the equilibrium, truth-telling equilibrium, um, breaks down. Okay. So how, how can, how, what is, what's the sort of overall conclusion? Right? Mediators can build trust, provided that they have a reputational incentive for honesty in a repeated game, not a one-shot game, and they're not excessively biased towards one side or the other. Okay. So trustworthy, uh, an honest broker to function in this context needs to be, uh, needs to be honest, needs to be uh, unbiased and have some reputation, reputational incentive for honesty, right? So they're not just in a one-shot framework trying to promote cooperation at all costs. So that if they got bad information about one player, they'd be willing to communicate that bad information, even though they know that that will prevent cooperation in this particular case. Okay, so that's the, that's the conclusion. Well, thank you, Andy. Okay. Why don't you keep on?